All right. Dun, dun, dun. Welcome to my podcast, Faja. Well, thank you. All right. So the people have spoken. They said that we should do a podcast together. So I don't know why. Because uh, you're fun. Why not? Yeah. Uh, let's Today. see. Brianna even said, yeah, you should do it. Yeah, you should do it. Yeah. So yeah, you should do it, but she wouldn't do it. Um, all right. So we're, I'm going to dive right in with basically the easy question first. I think someone asked, they said, what, what was Ashley like growing up and what was her favorite toy? Favorite toy. <laughs> her picking blanket was definitely a favorite thing. Thing. Like she was everywhere with that until it turned to cheesecloth. Yep. I think you had it to like what? Oh God. So it had nothing left. It, it actually, it was a pillow first. Remember it was, like it was a, a pillow? pillow? It, was a, it pillow. was a little six by 12 yes. little pillow. Yep. And then the stuffing fell out of it. Yep. Because you picked it too much. Yep. And then it was like a blanket. And then it, was just, it was just like a little pillowcase. Yes. So yes. it was. Mm -hmm. You used to pick and rub against the side of your face. Yes. And I still use that. <laughs> <laughs> The comfort thing. Yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh toys. I don't know. I know. I don't it's really tough. Think really. I really know. It was not really a favorite, favorite toy. I think it's different because when we were kids, we went outside. Yeah. It's not like today where Riley has nine million toys. Right. And we had toys, but I don't remember really being you guys inside. more outside than you were. Yeah. Playing. I don't really remember being inside playing with toys. No, I'm really much outside. I think the best. Family toy for the kids was the fire truck. Oh, yeah, the power wheel? The power wheel. Mm-hmm. So everybody learned to drive. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, what was I like as a kid? I would say very young, very quiet, baby. I was quiet. Photogenic. I was quiet. Yeah. Bef up until like eight or ten. Oh. Yeah, you weren't hmm. very loud. Okay. Yeah. Brianna used to pick on you a lot. Yes. Remember that. Mm -hmm. Especially the golf course, remember? Mm -hmm. Mini mini course. Yes. She always had to be the one in charge. Mm, yep. Until she wasn't. Until she wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So there was no favorite real toys outside a lot. The fire truck, I think, was the big toy that everybody enjoyed. Because mm -hmm. definitely taught you how to drive. I think we learned how to drive because of that fire truck yeah so yeah we didn't have that when kyle was i think it was you brianna and billy that was it yeah a power wheel fire truck it was we used to take that to the pool do you remember in the development didn't we used to drive that down the road it didn't go fast but i feel like mom used to let us drive it maybe not all the way to the pool i'm doing all the way to the pool so i went to that first corner and back and then back yeah you know what i do remember remember the time we were in the wagon and we saw the bear. It was like like a five hundred pound bear eating out of the garbage cans. Oh, we were in the wagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stupid wagon, mommy. Yes, mm -hmm. the car wagon. Yeah, the, the white wagon. The white wagon. Slap. The white. The wood slap. It had a wood panel. Didn't no, it have no. a panel? We were all white. Mom wanted the tourist wagon. Why did I think it had we wood? We bought on? it. No, the wood was the jeep I had. Oh. That panel wagoneer mm -hmm. that I had for like six months. Mm -hmm. That beast. But the white. Wagons. Mom wanted it. Mm -hmm. We traded in a vehicle. Mom wanted the wagon because I had all that room. Mm -hmm. We got it. She drove it for one day. Says I don't like this, and I got stuck driving it. And she <laughs> drove the SUV. That's right. And then I got rid of that thing in like two months, three months. 
He's a white, it was a station wagon. It was a white station wagon by, uh, I believe Ford made it. Yeah, and we saw that big bear. Yeah, it was big. He was like 500 pounds. Mm-hmm. He was tearing up everybody's garbage. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. All right, let's do something fun. Oh. <clears throat> let's tell everyone about you growing up, playing baseball, and professionally. Really? Yeah, that was Brianna's request. Let's talk about how you played baseball professionally. I think the first time a bat was in my hand, and I have the picture, was in like the summer of 1958 hmm. with grandma oh. out of the front of the house. So you were four. Aren't you born in 55? I was born in 55. August of 15. Oh, sorry, I lied. Three. Right? Eight from five is three. <laughs> Math is not my strong suit. <laughs> three. Yeah. And then uh, pretty much carried on from there. Hmm. Uh, I played what back then used to be called midget league, which would have been, oh, like five to seven-year-olds. Mm -hmm. That was my first trophy. Mm -hmm. I still have it. Um. Let's see. Then from that, it was my, not not minors. What they call it, farm. Farm was like that age group, like eight to ten. Before you went to little league, which was like nine to twelve, and I played one year in the farm, and then I went straight to little league. I played on the same little league team for three years, hmm. and. That was a lot of fun because back then you could walk to go practice or to go to the field to play from where we lived and you never had to worry about anybody jumping you, beating you up, taking your stuff. And you used to get dressed in uniform and you'd have your bat and your spikes on your bat, on your bat with your glove and you'd go to the field and you play and game was over, go back home. And even if it was getting a little bit dark, you never had to worry about anything. Anything. That was Yonkers? It was in Yonkers before Yonkers became a, what it is. What it is today. Mm -hmm. so we'll put, leave it at that. Yeah. Um, after Little League, it was the, they called it the graduates. It was a 13-year-old team. It was strictly 13-year-olds. It was like that in-between step before you stepped up. And I played on that. That was a, I, I know what happened. I started to play on that. I didn't like the coach and I quit baseball at 13 and I joined the Civil Air Patrol. Really? Yes. Hmm. Which is an Air Force based like ROTC. Okay. And grandma says, you can either do that or you do baseball and not both. So I said, I'm not playing baseball. So I went into that. I did that for a year, the marching and all that kind of stuff. It's armory. Um, and then 14, I started playing baseball again. I didn't want to do that Air Force thing because it was just a thing because I didn't like the coach at 13. So I played in the 14 to 16 year old league in the Luddale Association. And then they had an all star team. And a good friend of our family named Joe Eshu, who was in the Yankees organization when he was younger and was the backup to Phil Rizzuto. Was an incredible, he's an incredible artist, I rest his soul. He was coaching the travel team 14 to 16s, and we had tryouts. 
And at the end of the tryouts, which was like two weeks, they had us all at the field. And I remember the field, and I think it was Glen Field because it had a big cinder track all the way around. And we finished tryouts, and we were all sitting on the wall, and they're going to pick the team. So they picked. I was a so I played at 14. I didn't make it at 15. And then I went out for it again at 16. And they did the so you take five 14s, five 15s, five 16s. So they picked the five 14s, they picked the five 15s, and then they're picking the five 16s. So I start calling names and I'm going like, okay, yeah, okay, he should be on the team. I should be called next. And I, my name didn't come up with somebody else's name. So I definitely should be called next. They didn't call my name. Next one, didn't call my name. Now there's one spot left. He gives a little spiel about thanking everybody for trying hard and everything like that. And the last spot was filled by somebody else. And I'm sitting there on the wall and I realized I didn't get picked. Mm -hmm. And I remember going up to him, to Joe Eshu, and I said to him, two things. One, if you come over to the house for dinner, I want to know because I don't want to be there. And two, you made the biggest mistake by not taking me. Really? And I said, you will regret not taking me on this team. So I played in the regular league. And you were 15 or 16? 16 at that time. So I played in the regular league instead of, because I didn't make the travel team, obviously. And we played against the travel team one night at Fleming Field. And I pitched against them and won. I shut them out. And I gave him the ball after the game. I said, here's, here's, the, here's because you made a mistake. Here's the ball. <laughs> So every time you look at that ball, you'll know that you should have picked me on this team. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Why did you go to your house for dinner? Because a friend of the family. Oh, oh, oh. Friend. Oh, okay. The painting, that watercolor painting yes. of me mm -hmm. from the newspaper article. Yes. He painted that. And oh, he had yes. said to me, if you make the mine, if you make it to the AAA or the major leagues, I will do I will do a giant oil painting of you hmm. from one of your pictures. And obviously politics yeah but yeah so played high school ball went out for the team as a pitcher and after the pitchers tried out the coach says all right all pitchers go to the outfield and I looked in the outfield and you had outfielders out there and probably like 12 guys who were going out just to be like a pitcher and I was so crowded I said I ain't going out there so I went got my glove and he was getting ready to do infield practice for tryouts and the only guy standing at third base was the senior. There were three guys at short, three guys at second, and two guys at first. Obviously, one of them was the starter from the year before. Right. So I went over to third base. Hmm. So going outfield. So I made the team as a pitcher and a third baseman. Two games in to the season, the third baseman, the senior, gets hurt. I go to third base. So now I'm looking, waiting to pitch, and he's not pitching me. So I would say to him, Coach, when am I going to pitch? I need you to play third. I need you to play third. See, yeah, but this guy can play third too if I'm pitching. But I mm -hmm. want to pitch. Never pitched in three years of high school. That's okay. I stayed at third base. Never pitched me. And I was probably, without not blowing my own horn or bragging, I was probably better than the five pitchers we had. Hmm. Because I played in the summer leagues against these guys, so I knew, you know, what they were. And um, yeah, I never got to pitch. I always played third base. And then one time we played a, we had a week off, and we had played an inter squad scrimmage against the JV, 
So I pitched for the JV against the varsity, and our one of the JV pitchers pitched on the varsity against the JV. And they threw a one-hitter. <laughs> and then I said to coach, and I pitched against a starting team, except for me. And then I was like, coach, I need to pitch. Yeah. Not pitching. So I never pitched. Stuck in third base. Same thing in college. That was high school, college. I, college, I made the team, Westchester Community College, as a pitcher. Okay. Came out, came to find out very quickly how my coach had favorites. Yeah. And it was clicky a little bit. And I didn't really fit in because I wasn't into that clicky stuff. It's kind of like by myself. So I became the team designated runner, which was like a <laughs> speed up rule for the pitcher and the catcher. Pitcher yeah. got on or the catcher got on base. Tolly, go run. So I was like the Lou Brock of the Westchester, Westchester Community College team. In the first year as a designated runner, I stole 34 out of the 36 bases. Wow. And then we had our awards dinner. They gave the stolen base award to the coach's favorite pitcher who had nine steals in 16 tries. And everybody looked at me like, well, that's a mistake. And mm. I was like, it is what it is. And the next day I went in the office and said, how did you give Bobby this award when I stole 34 out of 36 bases? He says, you did? I said, look at the book. Yeah. You know, look at the book. I yeah. said, why do you think you used me so much to run bases? Yeah. I said, you don't put me on the mound. You're making me run. Once in a blue moon, you stick me in the outfield or something. Mm -hmm. But basically, I was just a runner. You think I was like a, a speedster. I just knew how to run bases. Yeah. So and that goes. That was college. college. That was college. So when did you yeah. play for the minor leagues? Was that, that after? That was by chance. Um, the summer league team that we had, um, the shortstop, it was Kevin Ty. Okay. And when one uh fall when was it spring kevin said there's a school in florida called boca Raton baseball school i'm thinking about going there for two weeks to get ready for summer ball i want to go so i said well let me say how much is it so whatever it cost for the two weeks uh we got the money together and we flew down it was the first time i was on a, an airplane and it was like the first time it was like the coolest experience taking off mm -hmm. I thought it was like a kid on a, on a roller coaster ride. <laughs> so we went down to the school. Uh, we played every day, um, practices, and then we had inter squad games in the afternoon. Um, did some pitching, played some outfield. And at the end of the two weeks, they called me in the office, kept both of us in the office, and they said, You guys want to come back in November and play, play winter ball? So we were like, can't afford this. Cause it was like for two weeks, it cost us like $500. You know, that's room and board and the food and stuff, but plus your airline flight. So I like, we can't, I can't afford that. So the guy who was director of the camp said, if you come back and play, it's only gonna cost you $75 a week for the board and you eat free in the cafeteria. Cause we were on a Boca Raton college. Okay. Um, and they used the back half of it for the baseball school. Uh, Boca Raton College didn't have a sports team. It was a small, almost kind of private, rich kid college. Okay. So um, 
We went there. We, like I said, we got done. So I said, well, I got to go home and find out. So I went home, talked to my father, and I says, they want me to come back down and play winter ball. And I really wasn't working. Were they going to pay you job. to play winter ball? Or just no, like, you just, just, you would do, you pay $75 a week to, to live there in the dorm. And you work and you, to the balance of what you don't pay, like you worked, like you worked with the young campers, you shuttled them back and forth from the airport. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, then we did our workouts as a, this travel team. And uh, so I talked to my father and I says, if I'm going to get seen by anybody, it's going to be in Florida because that's where it happens. Mm-hmm. So I figured, I said, if I can go down, give it a shot. And at the end of this winter ball season, if it doesn't work out, then I know it wasn't meant to be or whatever. Yeah. And so I pulled money together. Mom and dad gave me some money. And Kevin decided he was going to take the job at the post office and not go. So I, we got through summer ball. We had a real good season. We won the league again. And um, I flew down to Florida. And I played. We started out in like mid-November. And right through, started playing. So I was playing the outfield. Some, some, and then uh, we had a game against Miami Dade North, which is a really good college. And we were driving down on the bus, and the guy that was going to pitch for us that day goes up to the coach on the bus and says, "I got dead arm, mm-hmm. like I can't, my, I don't feel like I can throw." So he was like, "Well, let's see what happens when you get there." So I lean over the seat and said to the coach, "Is a skip." If you're in a bind, because we played every night. Mm-hmm. So I said, Skip, if you're in a bind and you need someone to throw, I can pitch. I pitch back home in the league. I says, I can pitch if you need me. And his answer was with that Boston accent, you fucking outfield this thing just because you can throw the ball from the fence to home plate that you can pitch on a bump. Just don't worry about it. Just catch the goddamn ball and get on base. I'm like, oh, Jesus. So I sat down, guys were all laughing. We get there, warming up, we're in the outfield, warming up, and he comes out to me and he flips me the ball and he goes, here, don't get us effing killed. Go warm up with Frank. Nothing like confidence, huh? Nothing like it. A little support. So we go warm up. I tell Frank what I can throw, how I'm throwing it, and this and that. And we get in the game, and the first inning, we don't get we don't get nothing. So bottom of the first, Miami gets up, and first guy grounded out, I believe. Then the next two guys I walked, and they were like the plate, which is seventeen inches wide. For some reason, with that umpire, it was like if I didn't throw it right down the middle, mm-hmm. it wasn't a strike. Mm-hmm. So our coach Jerry Garner, he's at the top of the stairs looking at me like. Jesus Christ, throw, throw strikes. And catcher was Frank. Frank looked over and goes, Jerry, he goes, he's throwing, he's hitting all the corners. We ain't getting nothing. So now that Jerry starts yelling at the umpire, bunch of hole in the mask, you know, open up the birdcage. You're looking through the wrong end of the funnel, oh. like all these things. Yeah. So Frank comes out, calls time. He comes out to me, he goes, Lock, he goes, we're going to do something here. I said, well, well, I can't throw it down the middle. That's like giving it up. So it's first and second and one out, and your number four hitter gets up. It's a big Cuban kid. I'll never forget a big barrel chest Cuban kid gets up, 
And um, at that back then, you didn't have to have a flap on your helmet. Uh-huh. You just wear the regular helmet. So he gets up in the box to hit, and Frank calls time. He comes out to me. He goes, "We got to throw it in and up on his hands. If we let him extend his arms, he's going to crush this ball. We just know it." So I said, "All right." I said, "I'll turn it over." He goes, "All right." He goes, "So the first pitch, he goes, we're going up and in. Get him in under his hands." It's okay. So. I get in the set position, first and second. I, let, I throw the fastball, and I turn it over, and it rides up, and it hits him in the side of the head. Oh, my God. Hits him in the side of the head. The ball goes flying back to the backstop, which was like 30 feet behind home plate. The tights, the ball, it's like the top of the fence. This kid's helmet goes cracking and flying open. Oh, my Lord. He drops the bat, takes a step, and he's looking at me. And I'm like, oh, boy, here he comes. And he fell over like a redwood tree. Oh no. Knocked him out. Knocked him out cold. So now I'm like, oh crap. So they call time. People come out, checking the lights and that. I go over and grab the helmet. The helmet was plastic. Like we used to get in, we used to have helmet day in Yankee Stadium. We used to get these replica helmets, but they were just plastic. They're great to play in the schoolyard with. Well, he took that and he had sprayed it the colors of the team and was wearing that because it was nice and light. Oh my lord. It was in fiberglass. Yeah. So that exploded. He gets knocked out. They got the ambulance. They put him in the ambulance. They, take him, they gave him a concussion. So the coach of the team come over to me and he goes, hey, not your fault. I says, coach, I wasn't trying to hit him. I got first and second and nobody out. Yeah. But one out. He says, I'm not trying to hit him. Just trying to keep the ball inside. He goes, you're okay. Don't worry about it. He's in trouble for wearing a fake helmet anyway. Once he gets out of the, gets right. cleared, he goes, you're fine. So then Jerry comes out to me and he goes, give me the ball. I said, for what? He said, I'm good. I'm good. I was intentional. I just, the ball rides. So what happens when I turn it over? Yeah. So he goes, uh, you're putting, we're, putting, we're putting us in a hole here. So Frank goes, Jerry, we're good. As long as the umpire gets to hit the corners. So as Jerry went back to the dugout, he said something to the umpire again. And uh, so we started playing. And uh, the next guy popped up. And then the other guy struck out. So they got out. We got out of the inning, no runs. Mm-hmm. We go on the win. Long story short, we go on the win, one nothing, and I, I strike out 10 guys. There you go. There you go. So we get back. Director calls me in the office. Oh, I heard you pitch really well. Blah, blah. I said, Yeah, I did all right. All right, 10 strikeouts, one hit against Miami Day North. Goes, That's great. Maybe you should start pitching more. I, said, nah, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, next thing you know, I was pitching every four days. And I'm winning. Come uh, early January, we're playing against Florida Atlantic at home. Before the game, they call me in the office because now I'm seven wins, no losses. I got like a one point something ERA. And they call me in the office. And there's a scout there from Central Scouting. And then from there, phone call with Oakland A's. And then next thing you know, they're on the phone back and forth. And uh, like two days later, I got a contract in the mail. So you got paid to play with the Oakland A's? Yes. In Minor the leagues. leagues. Yeah. Nothing to brag about. $825 a month. Isn't that crazy to think? What year was that? 78. That was kind of like a so, lot of money then, no? Or no? Not really. Eh, I mean, it's still not a lot of money. It's not a lot. It was, I mean, things were a lot cheaper back then, but, yeah. you know, it's. I was supposed to get six fifty, and they bumped it to eight. They bumped it to... Supposed to be six fifty, 
somehow I got 825. And when we get to spring training, come to find out, well, you don't get paid. Oh, what do you mean? That's what I said. What do you mean I don't get paid? And he says, no, while you're in spring training, we give you a per diem. We give you $8.50 a day. <laughs> that includes your food and you got to do your own laundry. So we were all A, double A, triple A, all in the same motel. It's a big square mm -hmm. and all the doors were on the inside of the courtyard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, two guys to a room. So, yeah, you got eight fifty a day. So you get seven times eight is 56. I think it was like $64 for the week. Oh my gosh. What do you do with that? So you're supposed to eat. They give you lunch when you're, cause you're at the complex all day. And it's usually like bologna and cheese sandwiches or ham and cheese and soup and fruit. Not like today in the minor leagues, mm -hmm. where you go in the locker room and it's a giant spread, yeah. even for single leg players. Yeah. You know, in the training room and all that. We didn't have these big training rooms. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, I called home. I says, we're not getting paid. We're getting this per diem thing. So my father sent me down like $500 to hold me over. He Texas uh, Union, yep. whatever the thing is. Yeah. And so he wired me down money. So I had extra money. So I found this Chinese buffet <laughs> next door to the hotel. $350, all you can eat. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm in. Because breakfast is like a bowl of cereal, and you're on the bus. Mm -hmm. And when you get there, you grab some fruit and you wait till lunchtime. And by the time you were done at the end of the day, then you go back, whatever, and clean up and go find something to eat. Excuse me. So I used to go in the buffet place, love Chinese food. Mm -hmm. So I used to go in there so much that as soon as I walked in the door, the owner would go, Oh, Mr. Bill here, go sit over there. You know where to sit. And you weren't allowed. If you didn't finish what you ate, mm -hmm. you weren't allowed to take it out. Uh -huh. That was the policy in the, in the restaurant, except for me. Oh, he, like he used to give me a little box. He goes, I know you're not finished. You're going to eat. So here. Oh, that's so, so nice. He used to give me, and I used to put it in the refrigerator. And I need it. And then eat it later. Or eat it for breakfast. Because it's all vegetables, rice. <laughs> hmm. So three fifty a day. You know, and then once in a while, we'd splurge and go. Diagonally across the street from the hotel to King Arthur's Pizza. And all the names of the pizzas were from like the Knights of the Round Table. Oh, cool. And each pizza was different. Mm -hmm. And that's where I experienced the first time black olives, ham, and pineapple oh, on a pizza. pizza. Sounds disgusting. But it was really good. I could do black olives in pizza. I don't know about pineapple. Pineapples and ham. Mm, and ham. It was really good. Hmm. I know some people love that. So that was that. So that's when you. So played. that was that, and they did for two years. Two years, okay. And I pitched well the first year. Went to spring training for the second year, near the end of spring training, which is like the worst time, because if I back up and tell you the first year, there was a catcher in camp in my first year there, from California, out of high school, he was a black kid, and he had like a a bazooka for an arm, like a cannon, mm -hmm. he from behind the plate on his knees. If you were pitching and he threw the second, you had to literally duck to get out of the way because he threw missiles. Mm -hmm. And they kept playing him in right field because of his arm. But he was signed as a catcher out of high school. He got like a $200,000 bonus to sign. But back then, if you signed to play pro ball, now you're ineligible to play college ball. Mm -hmm. So like if you got cut or whatever, you couldn't go play college ball because you signed a pro contract. 
So anyway, the end of spring training is the worst. The worst, the last like eight to 10 days back then because it was like the Grim Reaper. Guys were getting cut. You show up to the, you show up for practice, you know, get on the bus, you go to the complex and you go to your locker and your uniform's not hanging in the locker and there's a tag hanging in your locker. It means you got to go see the coach mm-hmm. or the GM. And it meant they were giving you an airline ticket. You were done. You got cut. You're going home. We don't want you anymore. Okay. Well, they cut this kid out of California, this catcher, who was like the number one high school kid in California. They cut him. They released him. He was kind of devastated because, like I said, you can't go to college and play now. You signed. Mm. He took money. So he got that 200 up front. That stinks. Right? So he goes back to his hotel room and cuts his wrists. His roommate comes in the room, and there he is bleeding on the bed. So they had to call the ambulance. They come. They wrap him up. They bring him to the hospital. They stitch him up. They sedate him. They hire a security guard to fly home with him on the plane. That's so sad. Yeah. So that last week and a half of camp back then was very stressful because you go in, you open, first thing you do is you open your locker. And if your uniform ain't hanging in there, you know you're going home. What a shitty way to tell you that you're not right? making it. So you know? guys, so the guys like in AAA used to screw with the younger guys. Oh, and take it. Take the shit it. out and hide it and hang a piece of paper in your locker. Mm. And then when you go start to walk down the hall, they throw yourself back in the locker. You go in the, in the office and they go, what are you doing in here? This was in my locker. I don't know who put that in there. That's not what I put in there. It's not even the right color. Mm. Nobody's messing with you. Then you go back and your stuff is there and you're like, you want to kill somebody. Yeah. So anyway, two years. After the second year, they kept, I was supposed to go near the end of second spring training. They call me in the office and they tell me because of the way I'm pitching and everything like that, I'm going to double A. Okay. Double A's in Waterbury, Connecticut. Okay. Which it was like very close. So my my mother's cousin, we, I called him Uncle John. I called home. I told my father. So Uncle John was like, that's great. We can go to games because it's only like a two-hour drive. That's great. And I'm excited because I'm close. Mm-hmm. And in the last three days before we left spring training, they called me back in the office. And they tell me they're bumping me back down to single A. I said, but you told me I'm going to double that. I made all these phone calls home, you know, put my quarters in the phone booth. And uh, <laughs> they says, no, nah, we're going to. I said, so why, why am I getting bumped? Well, then they come up with this excuse. It's like, well, you weren't throwing hard enough. It's this and that. So I go get my, my stat book. I could have kept stats of everything I did. And I put it in front of him. I said, here, read this. This is everything I've done in spring training. And I said, you can't tell me I'm not throwing hard enough when I'm throwing consistently at 89 and sometimes throwing 91, 92. Miles per but, hour. Miles per hour. But at 88, 89, my ball moved more, more movement, which was better. One thing led to another. I go back to single A. Go to single A. Keep doing what you're doing. And probably like two weeks into the season, we're probably going to wind up calling you back up. But what happened was, they were taking guys, they were getting released from other teams and pulling them in. And then there was a kid, um, his father was a president of a bank in Chicago who knew Charlie Finley, who was the owner of the A's at that time. He called Charlie, I need a favor. My kid mm-hmm. got cut. So we picked up that kid. Then when we get out to Oregon, the owner of the, the, uh, the, the, the team decides to hold an open tryout, which was the stupidest thing I ever saw. 
So I took two local kids on the team. One was a pitcher. And then this other kid got released. And they picked him up. He was a pitcher for his baseman. He wound up going on to play in the major leagues. Big lefty. He was a nice guy. But they kept picking up guys. So the more guys you have pitching, the less you pitch. Yeah. So it made it difficult. So it wasn't a great second season. Got home. And three days before Christmas, I got my release letter. Mm. And you know, Grandma, mm. it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. So, no, it wasn't. Mm. So I, I should have packed up and went back to Florida. That's the biggest thing I always say to myself. I should have packed up. I had no ties. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl that I was kind of engaged to, mm-hmm. I broke up with her because while I was away, she was going out with her ex-boyfriend that was before me. Mm-hmm. Because I found out from her brother. So I said, well, this ain't going to work. And grandma didn't, my grandmother didn't like her anyway. Okay. So I should have went, but I didn't. Um, I called Florida. I talked to the one, this one guy I knew there. And he was a scout with the Cardinals. So I called him. I tell him what happened. And he goes, I can get you a tryout with the Cardinals. It's spring training. Without a contract, he goes, you have to earn your contract. Okay. So I'll get you a walk-on. You do the walk-on, you make the team, they'll reimburse you your flight, and then you go wherever they send you. It's like, deal. So I worked out, got ready, probably the best shape of my life. And he gets sent to Europe to, to do European ball. So he gives my folders to another guy. So I'm in contact with this other guy, but it's not the same. And the guy kept pushing me off. And then finally, I should have got the letter so I can go and get my flight. Um, I don't get it. So I call the guy and I said, what's going on? He goes, um, he goes, looks like I can't get you a walk-on. I said, yeah, but I was promised to walk on by Bobby. They said, I can get that. Well, you know, there's a lot of guys want walk-ons. This is an that. He goes, I just can't be doing this stuff. Like, wait, wait, call Bobby. Well, he's in Europe. I can't get a hold of him. He says, so what are we doing here? He goes, I can't help you out. And he hangs up on me. Oh, man. And that was the end of that tryout, right? Mm-hmm. So I play summer ball, do really well, because I'm like, great shape. And then the guy I played ball with, he, his cousin was getting a tryout for an international team coached by a guy who used to play the Baltimore Orioles, Luis Aparicio down at Central Park to catch. So he calls the guy up and says to him, the kid on my team, he just got released, this and that. He can pitch. You think, he, you think he'll look at him? So they make a couple of phone calls and they call him back and say, yeah, he goes, bring him down to Central Park this date. We'll work the catcher and we'll have the kid throw off the mound to the pitch catcher to see how he catches live pitching. And if the kid's any good on the mound, we'll take him. Mm-hmm. so I was like cool so this was with the Giants affiliation so I didn't care right Yeah. so get ready for that the day it happens it rains <laughs> it pours <laughs> it's washed out we don't get the try out that yeah. goes under the bridge so I'm playing ball in the summer again and uh, Joe I should come over the house and he says to me go to Mount Vernon Stadium Sunday they're having a tryout with the Dodgers. 
It was supposed to be a closed tryout by invitation, but it got in the paper. Go. So I go. There's supposed to be 35 guys there by invitation only. Like 120 guys show up. Oh, wow. All different players, yeah. right? So we're all sitting in the stands, and the guy goes, uh, okay, he goes, first of all, thanks for the enthusiasm and everybody showing up and coming. He goes, but the problem is, if you don't have one of these invitations, he waves his paper, you're really not supposed to be here. And technically, we can tell you, if you don't have one of these papers, get your bag, hit the door, see you later. Yeah. Sorry about your luck. He goes, but we've decided to, since you all decided to show up, we'll do something. So they split us up into, you know, groups, pitchers, catchers, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so it comes time to throw. I throw on the side with two other pitchers. We throw. They watch us. And I got everything working that day. It was good. And then you go in a game simulation, and you pitch three outs. Okay. So I went to pitching five outs because I struck out the first two guys, and the third guy that got up against me, and the first pitch popped it up in the infield. So only threw three, up 12 pitches. Okay. So they said, stay out there, throw to two more guys. Throw to two more guys. I strike, strike them both out. I'm off the mound. They said to me, throwing like 90 miles an hour. I said, oh, wow, cool. So I'm up in the stands, taking my spikes off. And the guy comes up to me. And he sits down. I don't remember his name. He had this the black book. Yeah. And he opens it up. And he had all my information written on there and what I did in the scrimmages and all that stuff. He goes, we're really impressed. We like you. Even though you're not one of the invites, you're one of these guys that just happened to pop out. And as a pitcher, he goes, so we want you to go. We're going to, I want you to go to Vero Beach, which where the Dodgers were. He goes, you have any issues wearing a Dodger uniform? I said, I'll wear any color uniform you want. <laughs> no, I'm playing, I'm getting paid, right? Yeah. That would have been minor leagues or major? It would have been minor leagues, okay. again, but with the Dodgers. Okay. So it's a lot of, he fills out all this information on me. He goes to me, right? He goes, you should get a letter by this date. You'll know it's our letter because it's going to have the Dodger logo on the envelope and everything like that. It'll give you all your instructions, what you got to do. There'll be a voucher in there for money to get a flight, blah, blah, blah. Never came no way. Never came. Are you sure it never came? Never came. Did you call and check? There's nothing to check. It just never came. You never. don't think like grandma hit it, right? No, grandma wouldn't have hit it. If anything, grandma would have grabbed it from the postman's hand. Damn. Yeah. So it, you never called to find out where it was? You couldn't it just, call anyone? It just went. It was it. You know, the crazy thing is when I got released from Oakland, right? Yeah. In before Christmas. And in that summer, I played. Um, I went back to playing in the Colonial League in Westchester, and I played with the Mamaronek Braves. And we were playing against the team from the Bronx. I think they were the Mets. And the first game, it was a Nurshell Robbins against the Mets. And in the second game, it was us against the Mets. It was like a split doubleheader thing. So we get there, and there's like 12 scouts behind home plate because they're watching the kid from the Nurshell team pitch. Uh, his father works for NBC, made a few phone calls. The kid was good. Come watch him, son play, try to get him a contract, get him signed. Well, he got he, he has a bad game. 
he's blowing up at the umpire, screaming, carrying on, doing all the stuff he shouldn't be doing with all these scouts there, right? You got to mm-hmm. stay professional. Right. So he winds up losing the game, but like right after the game was over, they, most of the scouts said oh, we're getting ready to leave. And uh, Joe went up to them and he says, hey, he goes, I got a kid pitching the second game. Just got released from Oakland during the winter time. He goes, I think you guys should stay and watch him. And they're like, no, nah, you know, we got to, we got to, we don't come here for that. And this and that. Goes, no. Stay for a couple innings mm-hmm. and watch it. So three guys stayed. The other nine, they all left. So after the second inning or the third inning, they left. Okay. You know, one left and the other left. So I went three for three. Had three or four RBIs that game. And I pitched a no-hitter. Mm-hmm. So I pitched a no-hitter, and they weren't there to see it. Damn. Damn. And it was in the paper, too. So yeah. it was just... And so after the Dodgers whole thing, you just stopped. I don't want to say stop trying, but you just... I just gave up the thought of playing playing in the major leagues or trying to get back to the major leagues. So I was home and trying to find a job. How old were you? 23. 23. Yeah. Which is technically, they, you know, they're looking at 1920, 21s, but right. I was 23. Um, yeah, trying to find a job. So Nick, one of, the, one of the guys that we hung out with, his father worked at Pepsi. Mm-hmm. And that's when you started working. And he said Pepsi. to me, I can get you a job in the mailroom at Pepsi mm-hmm. if you want. And I was like, okay. Yeah, why not? I need a job. So um, I decided to work at Pepsi and save my money. And then after six months of saving money, I was going to quit. And I was moving out to the West Coast. I was going to move to Washington. Okay. Because I had met somebody out there when I was playing ball. Okay. And I actually mailed two boxes of clothes out there because mm-hmm. I was gone. Yeah. Because the father says, if you don't get hooked up with any teams and you just need to get a job, start your life and do something. I can get you a job in a telephone company out here. Okay. Right? It's like, okay. And you can stay in the basement, which we turned into an apartment because my son moved out and got his own house. So you could stay down there. And he goes, even though, you know, my daughter lives at home with us, and I know you guys are dating and all that, but you can stay at the house. They liked me. I was going out. My plan was... Work at Pepsi for six to eight months. Matter of fact, Julie came in for a week into New York. We went down the city, drove around, saw these different things. But she flew back home. My mother loved her. And then she left. She went back home. She took some of my stuff with her. Right? And so I was going to work the six months. Leave. Leave. Out to the Northwest. Start my (laughs) life and job or whatever out there. Right? And uh, so I started working at Pepsi, and then they had a job upstairs open up. But that was afterwards. So I'd work and work. And so I used to work, and then I used to go to the gym at Pepsi and work out or go run. So I used to run a lot. And uh, we were in the lunchroom. Oh, so yeah. In the lunchroom. This is, this is the best. This <laughs> is long, I know. I'm sorry, but this is the best. The mail clerks, all of us, when we got our lunch in the cafeteria, we used to pay and go through the cashier. 
there was a wall on the left. It was like a tapestry rug, which used to go the whole length. And there were tables there. All the, all the guys, we used to sit against the wall and watch all the women walk by <laughs> because it was a ratio of like eight to one. <laughs> and Pepsi didn't have many ugly women. Okay. Then. So we used to sit there and walk and we you know we rate the whole Z and I. That's, that's hilarious. She's ugly, you know, <laughs> not on your worst day. Yeah, yeah. So we're sitting there eating. And then we used to do this every day. And then one day we're eating lunch in there and I look up and halfway across the there's like these wood dividers. There's, and they were like slats of wood. And there were these two girls sitting on the other side. And the one kept staring at me. And I said to my buddy, Paul, I says, Jesus, I said, the freaking girl. Every time I look up, she's staring at me. <laughs> and he goes, oh, that's that girl that works on 5-1. 5 is the building. Okay. 1 is the first floor. <clears throat> seven buildings of Pepsi. One, two, three, five, six, seven. Yep. Well, she works. She's a secretary on 5-1. I had building 6, so mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. So then I go to the gym and work out and I go for a run or I go out at lunchtime and a bunch of guys used to play soccer on the field. And even though I wasn't really good at soccer, I used to go to run around or I used to go run the fitness trail. And every time I go run, it's this girl walking, walking out on the loop every time I'm out. I go run the fitness trail. She's walking on the fitness trail the opposite way. So if you got to run from this side all the way around, you pass finish. She would start at the finish and go the opposite way. So we had a pass. Uh -huh. And like I said, they kept telling Paul, I said, this girl's like, every time she's like stalking me. <laughs> she probably was. Right? So this went on for a while. So one day Paul says to me, hey, it was the end of the day. He goes, can you take this box up to 5-1 and let the guy sign for it and just bring back the paper? I said, I'm not going to 5-1. He said, because... Our supervisor, if you didn't weren't in your building and he found out you were in a different building, yeah. Irish I, the Irish used to come out of him, scream at you. Excuse me. So I said, I'm not going. He goes, come on, I gotta finish sorting my mail. Do me the favor. I said, if I get caught on 5-1, I says, I'm kicking your ass right in his right in his mail. So you're not gonna get caught. I think so, Paul set you up. He did. Because I took the box, went up to the 5-1. I go in the door to the right, and I'm going to go down the end of the hall to this guy's office. And as I pass by, there's this girl sitting there. So I just looked. I says, hi, how you doing? I kept walking. So I'm walking down the hall, and I get like this weird feeling. I turn around, and there's the girl leaning up over her desk, <laughs> looking at me walk down the hall. <laughs> oh, so I go down to the office. The guy, secretary, signs for it. So instead of coming back the same way, because all the floors like square, yep. okay, yeah. and you had the center concourse that went through the middle where the vending machine was in the bathroom. So I cut down through the middle and came around the other side. And as I got to the door to leave, there's that girl leaning, looking down the hall, see if I'm coming back. So I'm at the door and I just looked at her and I says, excuse me, you're looking for something? And I left, <laughs> right? Because I caught her peeking. Went downstairs, turned the paper in, and I said, well, you bleep bleep. Yeah. She's, you knew she was going to be there, didn't you? He goes, she's pretty, right? <laughs> I said, she's. I said, she's all right. He goes, she's pretty, right? And I'm like, you set me up. And he goes, yeah, I did. He goes, he goes, and it, and it worked out. So I said, oh man. I said, I ain't going up there no more. So she kept stalking me, and I was like, 
in my head, I'm going to Washington. Mm -hmm. I don't want no girlfriends. Yep. I'll go out and hang out, but I don't want no girlfriends. I don't want nothing. You're gone. You know, my life's going out there. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, Secretary's Day, I put a yellow rose and a flower, yellow rose flower in a bag, in a, like an office envelope, and brought it up and gave it to her I didn't for know Secretary's that. Day. Hmm. Yeah. Look at that. The plot thickens. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I met your mother. And just kept playing ball. Your mother would come watch me play double headers instead of go to the beach. Yeah. She was very devoted. She was. She was determined. Determined. Play, determined. Yes. You know, come to find out, she tells her girlfriend after the first day she saw me, she goes, I'm going to marry that guy. Hmm. And her girlfriend says, You're crazy. Because I'm telling you now, she goes, I'm going to marry him. Hmm. She stalked me. She did. So I wound up not going out to Washington. That was your choice? That was a tough thing. Because like when I started dating your mother, like I said to her, I take you out, but I don't have a car. Right. And she took and you like, over the Like without getting, without getting the car out of my mouth, your mother just jumped into, well, I have a car. <laughs> you know? And then like you said, the one day she drove me home yeah. from the bus stop. So I didn't have a car. And she didn't live like down the road from me. Yeah. She lived over the other side of the bridge. <laughs> and then grandma says, oh, you're in trouble. Yep. So we started dating. And every time she came over to the house, grandma's house, I had that picture of Julie on the shelf. She would put it down, she right? She laid it down. I kept thinking, why does this thing keep falling? But she, know, she knew you were dating her. She knew. She, she knew I was leaving. cheating, right? No, because it Julie. Was, I know, but like I wasn't like engaged to the girl or anything. We you just said like were dating. Okay, okay. No, Barbara, I was engaged oh, to oh, that Barbara I met when I worked at the uh the home for uh, back back then you could say the home for either special needs or mentally okay. retarded. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's yep. where I met Barbara because I was lifeguard there. Oh that's right. Yeah. So Julie, I know Julie. about this picture because mom has told me about that picture. Yeah. That she used to put it down every time she every comes time in the closet. Yes. Because all my stuff was in the closet yeah. right, by the dining room table. Yep. And it had Julie's picture on the shelf and in she, the closet. And she put it and down. Lay it down. That's funny. Yeah. Well, how long were you dating mom before you called it quits with Julie? Oh, God. The specific date you gave your mother, because she'll tell you what she was wearing the first time I gave her the flower, too. Oh, yeah. She'll tell you exactly what she was wearing. Hmm. I feel like it was a blue sweater or something. Yeah, it was a, like a, she used to wear like, almost like suit outfits. Oh. Your mother used to dress. Suits? Dress to kill. Wow. The high heels and all that. Hmm. The hair always done. Um. Let's see. I started working there in January of 80. Yeah. Hmm. And in February, I think. Sometime in February. When's Secretary's Day usually? I don't know. No clue. Yeah. So, so time in February. Yep. And then? Then we, we finally went out the first time. We did a ground round. Mm -hmm. Peanuts on the floor. Mm -hmm. um, we went to the Brotherhood Winery. Mm -hmm. She tried to get me drunk. That didn't work. She got drunk she in got bed. Drunk. Yep. And she prayed to the porcelain god. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then that was it. The day in August, went out to the mall in Nyack. I had a whole plan in my head. You were gonna break up with her? No. Oh. It was a great night. A lot of stars. We drive back to the house, to Grammy's house, on the driveway, on Woodside Drive, and we're going to get a car, and I was going to ask her right there. 
Oh, to marry you. To marry me. So we were in the parking lot at, at the mall. And I said to her, it's really nice out tonight. And she's like, yeah, yeah, this and that. So let me ask you a question. I said, she goes, why? Wow. It's like, like what, do you, what do you think you're going to be doing with, like moving forward or something like that? And she just got in the car. She goes, come on, let's go home. So we get in the car. We drive back to the house. We get out. We're in the driveway. I go to ask her like what she's going to be doing like the next 20, 30 years. And she just grabbed the bag out of the back seat and went in the house. So here I am standing out in the driveway like, what the hell? <laughs> so I'm standing out there. And she finally comes out. She goes, are you coming inside? I said, I was, but I wanted to ask you something. So what do you want to ask me? I said, just come over here. She came over to the car. Typical. And I says to her, what are you going to be doing? What do you think you'd be doing in the next 20 or 30 years? And it was like, what question is that? I said, no, it's a question. She said, I don't know why. I said, would you marry me? And she let out this ungodly scream <laughs> and ran back in the house. Didn't even say yes. Ran back in the house. Mom, 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 running in the house. And then I walked in and Grampy got out of his chair, walked over by... Remember when we used to walk in, was it, you had the washing machine and stuff on the right. On the right. Mm -mm. Well, the staircase went up. Okay. And he came from the sitting room in the basement where he used to sit and watch TV. Got by the staircase as I came in, walked up to me and goes, well, she's your problem now. <laughs> so I looked at him and I says, uh, I should have asked you first. And he goes, it's okay. You got my approval. Like I said, she's your problem now. Oh, my gosh. And then went upstairs and Grammy gave me this big hug. Hmm. Did she even say yes? She just ran in the house? She finally says yes upstairs in the kitchen. I said, you're going to answer me or are you just going to keep screaming? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. So it was it. They obviously it. broke up with Julie before that. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I decided to stay at the job mm -hmm. and not move, mm -hmm. called her on the phone. And uh, I remember Grandma. You've been on the phone 20 minutes. What are you doing? I'm on the phone. Leave me home. Because, you know, yeah. phone on the wall, right? With the wire. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no so privacy. You, no. Oh, man. Thank God we had like a 10-foot cord. So I'm yeah. sitting like in between the hallway and stuff. And Grandma's like, you're going to get off the phone? I was like, you're expecting a phone call? She's like, no, but why are you on the phone? I said, I'm talking to Julie. That's a long-distance call. That's going to cost us money. Oh, man. Pay for it. So like half hour or so on the phone, I just said, I'm, I, I, I'm not home. He says, and if you want to burn my boxes in the fire, I truly understand. Yeah. And stuff like that. And so she mailed everything back. That was nice. Yeah. I would have burned your shit. <laughs> That's what I expect. It's <laughs> two boxes of clothes. Sorry. Just, I just going in a different direction. And did you tell her you were dating someone or you just said, I don't remember if I told her. Oh. Mm. And uh, I said, if you want to just throw my stuff out or give it away to Salvation Army. I truly understand, and I'm not mad. Mm. And uh, I hung up, felt like crap, mm -hmm. a little bit, mm -hmm. felt bad. Of course. And then, uh, like two weeks later, my boxes show up in the mail. No letter. Um, no, just nice. uh, her name. Her nameplate from this job that she got. She on the on the nameplate is Julie Tolly. Oh shit! Yeah, she had this nameplate made for her desk. I was like, oh, oh, oh god. <laughs> so that was you know, like, instead of a letter, I got that. And yeah, that was a big slap right yeah. in the face. Yeah, I yeah. felt bad for a while. I mean, yeah, but, of course. You know, human. But you know, I wasn't like engaged or anything. 
Mm. Just like we were dating yeah. long distance. Yeah. You know, you're on the phone. It was tough. Yeah. She's in New York. She's over in West yeah. Coast. So, yeah. And it's not like you have FaceTime video no. chat. Just, yeah. Phone with the wire on the wall. Yeah. Phone with the wire on the wall. The dial. Well. Yeah. So. That's crazy. So that was it. That was it. I went on to stay, play ball. Yeah. Forever. Forever. I mean, during my younger baseball days, I got a total of like what? Eight, five no hitters mm. I can claim. Um, the last one was when I played in a 45 league in Westchester mm-hmm. before we moved to Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, I pitched a no hitter against the Giants. So let me ask you this yeah. Coach, in the first, your first thing you did when you were like 14 15 16 that coach yeah. that was the shithead and then that, you had a lot of shitty coaches i feel like yeah that's who coach sucked they all kind of didn't believe in you i guess i guess so what made you keep playing the love of the game hmm. just to, to prove people wrong because wrong. there was a lot of you're not good enough hmm. so if you told me i wasn't good enough you were I, gonna do I'm it gonna, i'm just gonna prove you wrong it's the same thing baseball uh Football, like um, like little league football, well, mm-hmm. they had tackle, but we also had like a, like a farm teams, and then we we would play. Uh, it was two hand touch. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't on the tackle team, and you played in this one, you'd be on two hand touch league. That was fun. I remember that as a kid. That was a lot of fun, two hand touch. And then I got on uh, the tackle team one, the year after that. I played for the Lions, and we wore red jerseys. And they used to have a building at the complex, small complex, and all the football equipment used to be in there. And you used to come up and you get dressed. And we had the helmets with no padding inside. Mm-hmm. It was just those straps, the suspension straps that just sat on your head. Yeah. You know, everybody had the same face guard. There was no linemen's guards and all that. It was just the two bars across, but you had the pants and everything like that, the padding. And mm. Football was fun. Basketball was fun. I wasn't the best, but I played hard. Um, Played in like those ball league kind of things. Didn't play high school basketball because they wanted you to run cross country. And I wasn't running cross country to try out for basketball. So I didn't play basketball. So I did swimming, went out for football, sophomore year, inner squad practice scrimmage kind of thing. I was a receiver and I went out for a pass, caught it. And then I went to cut inside and the guy hit my leg, sprained my ankle. Um, and then what happened was I was playing on the side street because we used to play on the dead end and we were playing football and I caught a pass and as I caught it my foot got caught underneath the the tire of the car parked and I stepped over and I twisted my ankle and it blew up like a balloon Mm. so my football was done to rehab my ankle I started swimming in a pool Mm. and the coach at Yonkers High School used to run a swimming program at this Linden Street pool in Yonkers. And I, I, I went there to one day and he goes, why don't you just keep, I'm here every day. Just come swim, rehab your ankle. You know, wait. So that's what I was doing. And then I went up swimming for the school, for Saunders. I went to Saunders because it was a trade school. My uncle Al wanted me to become a carpenter. So they can put me to work and mm-hmm. get me in the union, mm-hmm. which we see that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's another story. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. All right. So you were obviously, we know you're athletic and yeah. determined. 
would you say your mindset was you or do you think that grandma or grandpa gave you any of that? Like, did they encourage? Yeah. Grandma was supportive when she could be because for like, like five years, it was just me and grandma. Yeah. Right. Um, My birth father, he sucked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He sucked. Yeah. My stepfather, he was a good father, like for most part, but he wasn't in my sports life at all. Can you go to any of your games? No. No. I have no high school pictures of me in uniform. No. Grandma didn't go either? Grandma was working. Okay. Grandma used to work at the beauty, beauty shop doing hair. Yeah. And my high school games were 3.30 in the afternoon. And Aunt Janet wasn't born yet? Aunt Janet wasn't around, really. That okay. Time. Or when she was, she was like three. Oh, right. She was three or five. That's right. She's younger, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, everybody. He didn't had... go by choice or he was working, you think? Doing whatever he was doing. Well, usually, yeah. Usually, he get home from work until like five. Okay. You know, but uh, never made, if we had a Saturday game, never made the effort. Mm. Uh, never worked out with me, like play catch with me. Did you ask? Yeah. So me and the ball and a wall were real good friends. Mm. Or me and the guys they hang out with, we used to play. But uh, if I had a regret, not a regret, but bad, sour taste, whatever I would say is, it sucked being... I don't suck. Uh, it sucked playing high school ball and everybody's mother or father was watching their kid play. That that does suck. So, this was the proof to myself that it was good enough. Mm. So I guess that's why it was so hard. Yeah. Did you ever tell them that? I don't know. Used to argue. Yeah. It's always. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's even college. It was you know, I mean, it's tough because you don't. They didn't drive up in Valhalla. Yeah. You're not going to take two buses to come out your basement game. Um, even in high school, with the when we made the sectionals, you know, crowds of people. Chairman's yeah. one and that went on and stuff like that. Like even didn't make a big deal. Like when I made all city um, third baseman, like uh, second team as a third baseman. I had to keep from Roosevelt at the first team. He was good. It was no big deal. The only big deal was when I signed and I got the contract with Oakland and I the baseball school flew me home. To be be home for a week before going back down. Uh, and we, grandma, grandma organized the whole thing, you know, like a party, cake, and all that stuff like that. That was the only time it was like it was a big deal. And like, you know, like, my son's gonna play pro ball. Mm. You know, it was like, well, he probably never saw you play. No, that's crazy to me. Even little league, you know, at twelve years old, the field is only. 10 minute walk from where we used to live. 
we always play on Saturdays. Hmm. My mother came once in a while, but. You weren't close with your uncles like that, that they would even come? No, my uncle, I was always working. Yeah. Um, Wasn't he a dick? He was hard. Right? Wasn't one of them like mean kind of? Uncle Al turned out to be real mean. Yeah. Um, Uncle Al was hard. Um, here's one for you. You know, in the list, high school graduation. Don't even tell me they didn't fucking go. Guess who was sitting in the audience? Don't tell me no one. My Aunt Roro. Hmm. My mother stayed home. Why? To make food. Oh my gosh. My Aunt Roro showed up with my cousin Anthony to watch me graduate. Mm. That's why it's kind of so close with my Aunt Roro. Yeah. You know. Aunt Roro was married to who? Or was your mom's sister? It's my um, my mother's older sister. She's the one when I when when you graduated high school back in the day, oh guys were getting cars and stuff like that, mm -hmm. right? Um well I knew I wasn't getting a car, mm -hmm. and I was okay with that. Me and my 10 speed were just fine. But I went, I got to go up to my Aunt Rose for the summer and with Uncle John, her husband, and my cousin Anthony, who and I were like so close. That was her son. That was her, one of her three. He was uh -huh. the youngest one. Uh -huh. Anthony and I used to fish together, swim together, run around, do all kinds of stuff. And when I graduated high school, I went with my Uncle John, Aunt Rose, and Anthony. We went in a camper in a pickup truck with a cap on the back. And we went cross country, we went all the way out to Mount Rushmore. So we were going, we were on the road for six to eight weeks. That was my graduation gift. Hmm. So I got to see the country. Okay, I would take that over at Garden. Right. And then we were supposed to come back to the South and I remember we Mount Rushmore and then we were gonna start making our way South and go into like Colorado, Nevada and then come through northern Texas and Alabama and work our way back home. But the heat was so bad back then that people were coming north saying like, oh my God, it's like 120 and this mess. So we planned, we turned our, around and we went through Montana and went back across the northern part of the United States to, you know, the northern states into Michigan and all that kind of stuff and worked our way back home. So I was gone the whole, I was gone for eight weeks. Hmm. And I still have all those black and white pictures. Michael John was a cop, detective, but he down in his basement when he lived in Somers, he had a, a, a dark room. For developing. And he just developed all these pictures. So all these pictures on these camera rolls he took when we were away. We got back home, we cleaned up everything. And I stayed up there for like another two weeks. And we developed, we helped him develop all these pictures. And I had like a thing like that in my drawer of all these pictures, black and white. Hmm. You know, throwing snowballs in July and Little Bighorn and Mount Rushmore and fishing in Yellowstone Park. And That's cool. Stuff like that. It was cool. Hmm. So. Hmm. Don't give me the finger. <laughs> <laughs> so what else? I don't know oh how you God. know all those stories. How it's, do you remember everything uh, like that? I don't know. I can't even remember, there's, honestly. Like, There's not a lot. There's not a lot I remember. Remember, you remember every well, detail. I mean, I can go on forever. Like, talk to me and Pat Mitchell, my uh, my Jyla friend who lives in Texas, mm -hmm. and we accidentally connected through Facebook Messenger mm -hmm. 
Um, I tried to get a hold of him for years when my sister found out where he was living because he coached at Mercy College. Okay. As he was the basketball coach. And uh, and then we kind of, like, you know, you go to college and you separate ways. Pat and I yeah. went to community college together for one year. And then he went to a different college and I stayed at community college and you kind of separate, you grow up. And uh -huh. you know, all the guys I hung out with, they all just like disappeared. Yeah. But Pat and I were probably the closest out of everybody that I hung out with as a kid and a teenager growing up. We had a lot of great memories. And we accidentally connected on somehow on Messenger. Now, in the future. A while ago. And now we message each other like once a week. That's great. And uh, for a while, I couldn't get him to go FaceTime. He wouldn't go FaceTime with me. I don't know why. And then he was in a coffee was it really shop. Him? <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. He just wouldn't do it. Kept avoiding it. And, uh, and I kept telling him, like, I don't care if you're bald. You know, you, you got a glass eye, whatever. I, I just, let's just talk. I mean, we're best friends growing up. Yeah. And uh, he was in a coffee shop in Texas where he lives. And he butt dials me. Right? Somehow, sitting on his phone... And it dialed me in a FaceTime. Mm. So it opens up and I can hear him talking and I can see his back. Yeah. And I'm yelling, Pat, 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 for like five minutes. Finally, he grabs the phone and he's going, Who's calling me? I said, Pat, look at your phone. You FaceTime me. And he looked you know, like this. He looked at me and goes, Holy shit, Billy Tom. And it was really him. It was him. Because weren't you thinking at that point, like, did someone catfish me? Right? Because right. if you video you, you know? No, it was him, and he still got this giant head of hair. Yeah, but it was all white. He's completely white haired. Um, if you look up a picture of a basketball player called Pistol Pete Maverick, mm -hmm. Pat Mitchell hairstyle was a Pistol Pete because he loved Pistol Pete, mm. and Pat was really good at basketball. And Pat used to like try to copy everything Pistol Pete did. Like a lot of kids did, but mm -hmm. Pat was a Pistol Pete kid. And he had the hair. He used to wear the floppy socks and the whole thing. So, yeah. So it was out of a free thing that we connected. And so, like, we're back and forth. Like, he put stuff on Facebook. Not a lot of personal. You don't put no personal stuff, really. Puts all this other stuff up there. And so it, you still uh, talk to him? Yeah, I talked to him, like, a week ago. He actually FaceTimed me. <laughs> so the plan is, possibly, I may go out to Texas for a weekend. To see him. To see him. Well, that would be so cool. Or if he goes, if you're in St. If he goes, if you're in Palm Coast visiting your sister-in-law, and I happen to be in Palm Coast visiting my sister who lives 10 miles from so Ambar. Funny, how crazy is that? He goes, maybe we can hook up there as well. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's fine. It's just he goes, when you get back from your trip, he goes, give me a call. Clean. We'll figure it out. That's cool. I mean, it's gonna be odd at first because we haven't seen so many, so many. Yeah, trips. but it might not be. You never know. You know, I'm like, I said to mom, I said, I wonder if it's gonna be awkward or not. You know, maybe for you. I don't know. Wait, so you've been anyway. talking yeah so what else well that that kind of goes into what i was going to say about your up we're talking about your upbringing but how did that shape you into who you are today and parenting do you think that's why you're so strict i think i was strict because I'm, i don't know i just didn't want I didn't want my kids to go down the wrong way. Yeah. Right? Makes right. sense. Yeah. So I figured the only way around it, and grandma was, you know, when you were a kid, when back when we were kids, you did something wrong, you got the spoon, mm -hmm. you know, you got the mm -hmm. whack on the ass, and mm -hmm. never really, never got hit in the head. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, when I'm 
stayed with my grandfather for the summer to help him in the garden all that. If I screwed up, it was either the back of his hand, the paddle. Oh, my God. Or the cat of nine tails was on the wall, which he really never used. It was a, it was like a stick that was wrapped in leather, and at the end of that were nine straps that came off it. If so they called it, that, they called it the cat of nine tails. That is abuse. Back then it wasn't. <laughs> it was like do the right thing. So he used to have it hanging on the wall, mm. and it never left the wall. Yeah. And I'll never forget this. We were in the garden. Because if I wanted to go swimming with Anthony or go fishing, had to work the garden in the morning. So we used to get up, grandma give us a little breakfast, grandpa go down, I go down in the backyard and help him. He had this huge garden, mm-hmm. right? Probably as big as my yard in South Carolina, maybe okay. bigger. And he had corn, the strawberries and all that. So I used to help him weed, he had a weed every day. Okay. So I used to do the weeding with him. We're doing stuff. So I was in the strawberries picking weeds and I went to pick the weed and I pull up a milk snake and freaked out right because it's a snake so I throw it he starts laughing and he tells me in Italian it's just a milk snake don't be afraid they eat the they eat the mice so we're doing whatever and uh he threw water on me or he did something and he starts laughing so I went over against the wall and I grabbed the hose oh shit I turned the hose on, I turned the nozzle on, and I soaked my grandfather with water, laughing. He starts yelling at me in Italian, and he comes running after me. I shut the hose up, and I ran upstairs. And my grandmother goes, what happened? I said, just grandpa wet with the hose, because he used to hate to get wet. Oh, And I was like, she goes, what did you do that for? I said, he got me wet, look. So I got him wet. My grandmother's like, all right, kid. Yeah, like you thought you were being funny. It's fine. So he came upstairs yelling and uh, he grabs the cat of nine tail off the, off the wall. And my grandmother goes, you're not hitting him with that. Whatever he says, you know, and uh, like, he got me way disrespectful, blah, blah, I teach him a lesson. And uh, grandma goes, you're not hitting with that. that. That doesn't deserve that. Put it back. So he went up putting it back. Thank God. Right. Come in. He came in changed his shirt and he came out of his room and I was by the, I was by the, t- the kitchen table there getting a piece of bread and butter and as he walked past me behind me he gave me a shot on the rear end with his hand and I it, it hurt because you know you're a kid it hurt but it, and he looked at me and he said like don't do that again and I was like hey, okay he goes let's go we got to finish and we went back downstairs and finished up but yeah he took and then we none of us none of the grandkids ever got hit with it but it was always there and you knew it was there, right? Look at high school. Yeah, but I mean, like you were just having fun. You think yeah. back, right? Like it's, I mean, maybe. You remember, this is an old school Italian. I know, but. He's from the old country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was certain ways Different, that he yeah. was like not hip to it culturally. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. You know, so it was okay one way, but not the other way. Kind right, of thing. yeah. So, yeah, so. Mm. But I didn't get hit with it, which was lucky. But he, it was always there. Yeah. You know, it's always the be- hand on the rear end if you're disciplined. Sometimes it caught the back of your leg, but mm-hmm. it is what it, it wasn't like they grabbed you and just kept wailing. Right. One shot, usually all it took. You know? Yeah. Um, or grandma, who would never, never hit me, maybe once or twice in my whole life, mm-hmm. would just take my baseball glove. Oh, and that was punishment. That was death. Yeah. Especially when everybody's playing and I can see them from my window across the factory to the schoolyard. And everybody's playing ball and I can't go. 
because of this, this, or this, right? Um, it's because of your grandmother that I used to rip up your guys' homework. Oh, I know. Thank you very much. For those who don't know, <laughs> if I wrote sloppily, if it wasn't perfect, if I erased too much, if the lines weren't, he would rip up all my homework and make me do it again. But all these. I know. You don't think that was harsh? No, because everybody used to do it to me. I can remember doing a whole notebook sheet of paper of math problems, right? Arithmetic back then, we used to call it. And she'd look at it, all the answers would be right, but they weren't in all the problems weren't down in a straight line. Mm -hmm. They were crooked, low set, whatever. And she'd rip it up. And then she'd take the ruler and she'd make straight lines like columns. And she said, now rewrite it and put them in the columns and redo them again. And here I am sitting at my desk, with my math book open, writing the things down, adding them up, putting, because you couldn't write the answer down. You had to add everything back up again because she took it and threw it in the garbage. Yeah, make you do it all over again. So that's where that comes from. Yeah. But I mean, in high school, uh, you messed up. You used to get detention. Yeah. The detention was five o'clock in the morning at the school, in high school. And you had to run around the gym floor until 6.30, nonstop. Because the assistant principal used to be in school at 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And you had a choice. Come in at 5.30, run your detention, because it wasn't after school detention. Or you can come in just before the bell rings, go in Mr. Hurley's office, and get the paddle. And no way. They had, he had two paddles on the wall. Paddles That's legal. You could hit kids in school. One paddle had holes in it. One didn't. And they were about maybe two foot long, half inch thick, routed edges, varnished, really pretty looking. And you had a choice which paddle you want. And you used to pick a paddle, put your hands on the desk. No. And they would say forehand or backhand. And it really didn't matter. So you pick one and have a nice day. No fucking way. Yeah, she gave it the paddle. You ever hit me with a paddle? I probably would have hit you over the head with a fucking paddle. I got hit with a paddle. I got I got the paddle twice from the assistant principal. Once because I was stupid. I did something stupid in the lunchroom. And then the other one was I showed up late for school because I was playing hockey at four o'clock in the morning. And the guy dropping me off from playing hockey got me there late because we played longer. I can't believe it was legal to hit kids. Yeah. In school, like. Fourth grade, Mrs. Aiello, she slammed my hand. The desk, you know, the desk used to open up. Oh, gosh. And I used to lift up the lid and all your stuff was in there. Yes. I was in there looking for something while she was teaching and she came over and she slammed the desk mm. on top of my hand and it crushed my communion ring onto my finger. I had to go to the... Yeah. And grandma didn't do anything? I think grandma went to the school. I think she went to the school. Oh, my God. Fourth grade. Yeah. Mrs. Aiello, she was like the Wicked Witch of the West. That's fucked up. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, high school, we eat the paddle. Um, junior high, seven, eight, nine. Mr. Dodson, he was the principal. He used to walk around with a belt. Mm. Never got hit with the belt, but it was known that he used to smack kids on the rear end with the belt. You caught your horse playing in the, in the hallways when you weren't supposed to be there. And that was okay. Well, I'd say that it was safe to say that you how you grew up is not how even parenting is now not even close yeah no, no I, i've close. never hit riley i'm close there's there's too sometimes i think today's there's too much discussion of when the kid does wrong instead of just old school on it 
Yeah, but do you really even think old school worked for you? It worked for me. <laughs> it worked for me. Kept me out okay. of big trouble. It kept you out of trouble because you were scared. Oh, yeah. But do you feel like you ever had a place, a safe space to talk about how you felt th- about things? No, probably not, right? Because you were more scared. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, we, my, my mother would, I mean, if my, my mother, you know, like I said, she never really hit me, but if she did, it was always with the wooden spoon. Yeah. Like I said, it was never in the head, facing. It was always in the rear end or in the hand because you're grabbing something you're not supposed to. That was her. I mean, look at catechism, religious instructions. Back yeah. then it was called catechism. Right, right. Every Wednesday, I went to catechism because I went to public school. I went to St. Peter's for catechism. And we were all run, they were all run, it was all run by nuns. Oh, yeah. And they had full black habit. Yeah. And Sister Mary, whatever her name was, with that ruler, they used it. Well, yes, you were, I would say that you were the straight and narrow, except for your one story you just finally shared after all these years of your drinking at 21. Aside from that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you think, did you feel like loved by Grandma Tolly? Oh yeah. You could talk to her and go to her. You felt safe to go to her and talk to her and all that. And she didn't really. It was always about my mother, never about my father. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I mean, times are different, but. Back then, it was the way, I guess. You know, like, like well, the Mandalorian. This is the way. Yeah, the way. <laughs> well, you didn't... I don't really think I ever remember being hit, to be honest. Maybe once. You got in shot in the butt. And the one time I grabbed you... I never forget. I, I forget how old you were. Okay. Maybe teenager. You mouthed back off to me. I, we were living in Emerald Green in the okay. ranch. Mm-hmm. And I chased you into the back room, your the room, my bedroom, and I pinned you against the wall. And I had my hand up to hit you, and you let out this bloody scream. And I and I remember saying, I didn't hit you, but I remember grabbing you and pinning you on the wall and lock and load, ready to go. And I didn't. You screamed and started crying. And I, I yelled at you because whatever you did. And then you said. I'm going to call the cops on you. And I says, I'll give you the effing phone or I'll give you the phone. I said, I'll dial the number for you. Don't you ever disrespect me again. Whatever it was. Yeah. I remember that one time with you. Okay. Hmm. I can remember. It's very vivid. I can see it. Well, because it's kind of like traumatizing. Because you know what? I don't remember it. I probably blacked it out. Maybe. There's one time, like, I guess, I don't know, maybe, I mean, why, did I just come home from work or whatever it was? But yeah, so it's that one time. Hmm. But I've given you, all these got shots in the rear end. Well, yeah, I, I really more than all these, yeah, probably. yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like wham, wham, like five, six, seven, eight times. It was yeah. like usually just a one shot, mm-hmm. you know. It was never like I said, we never hit you in the face, the head, yeah. you know, where you get something like people they just whack their kid in the back of the head when they do something wrong, which is crazy, yeah, that never happened. Hmm. But I think the strictest came from that just making sure that you guys stayed the straight way. And I really believe getting into working into corrections made you made, that way. Made, made you partly that way too. I, I think a hundred percent. It made you that way too. Yeah. Yeah. It changed me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you could change anything about the way you parented, would you? They would want to be around more. Yeah. You don't feel like you're around a lot? Not when I worked like midnights or I started traveling to Albany. Oh, when yeah. I, 
remember I became an instructor mm -hmm. after 10 years of working inside the prisons and stuff. And then mm -hmm. I got certified, started working as instructor. And then they gave me the appointment to work in Albany. Mm -hmm. So you're up there every, you know, like eight week sessions. Then you, but you're home only on the weekend or you're home during the week, but you're not home every night. So I used to stay up there sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then once I got uh, in 2004, when I got assigned to the Albany cert team, which was hostage rescue and stuff, all that tactical stuff, when we would go around and teach all the facilities that had cert teams, we would teach them. And you were out there a lot more. Yeah, I guess you were gone a lot. Yeah. So I would go up there and be up there for like three out of five days and be home on the weekend, but not home every night, you know, um, because you're up there so much. And then all the training, so you're away, teaching you're up there, you're away. Then you come and, when you became a drill instructor, now you're teaching classes, you're being a DI for the class, you're up there mm -hmm. a lot. So yeah, I, I wasn't, I was there, but I wasn't there as much as I probably would want to be if I look back on it. Hmm. I mean, I was there for whatever sports you guys got into. Yeah. You know, you the were. soccer, the cross country you did for a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah, you were. The cheerleading. Mm -hmm. um, Brianna with her basketball. We traveled, remember AAU? It's going to be freaking weekend. Do you feel like you were always there for us because they weren't there for you? Subconsciously, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you were good in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we didn't have a lot, but we did the best we could. Yeah, I know. We talk about this all. I use funny. I talk about this all the time. Like you guys had four kids. You didn't make a lot of money. No, but I never felt like we didn't have money or we didn't have what we needed. I took it's almost a seven thousand dollar pay cut when I went from working at the engineering office to go into corrections. Yeah, to start out with. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't for like almost a year. A year. A little about a year and a half, not counting overtime, to where I got back to let's say the engineering pay, and then because like when they tell you when you leave correction when you left the job to go into the field after the academy, um, you should be at pay rate at three and a half years I think it was, and we didn't get the pay rate till six because wow. the governor and the commissioners decided to screw all the officers and not give us raises and or, that we needed or honor our contracts and stuff. So it took longer to get the pay grade. I mean, I went in at 22, 220. Yeah. That's what the pay was when I went to the academy. 222. There you go. 22, 220. That's what I mean. My first year in corrections. That's like nothing. And I was making 27 or 28 with Al in the engineering office. It's like no money. How did but you guys live on cheaper that? cheaper too. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Cost of living was the different. Cost of living but... was different. Uh, food and everything else was a lot cheaper. But, you know, once you're like six months into the job and you start working overtime when you can and whatever mm -hmm. like that, you're trying to make extra money. But I used to work for Al on weekends and draw. I used to draw at home. Yeah, so, I remember. So I used to work full part-time for Al while still working corrections. Especially when I worked midnights, I'd come home. Mm -hmm. If I was tired, I'd take a quick nap. And then I'd go in the office for three, four hours do whatever, go to the game, your game or whatever. Yeah. And then go to bed at six o'clock, wake up at 10 o'clock to go to work again at midnight for four years. Mm. You know, it was the worst four years being on midnights because you're sleep, you're eating the wrong stuff at the wrong time. Yeah. You know, 
But uh, yeah, I did for like four years on midnights. Mm. And I'm in the stress of the job. And what happens is you bring it home. Yeah, yeah. And you subconsciously bring it home. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it wasn't always the inmates stressing you out. It was the guys you work with. Yeah. Sometimes it was more stress with the guys you work with than it was the inmate. Yeah. You know. So. Hmm. And like I said, was it last night or the night before here? Yeah. I said, do you remember what you said to me when <laughs> after, I, after I retired? Oh, at dinner, yeah. I don't remember saying that. Did came up to me in the house on Adams Road. Adams that's Road. Where, that's where I lived. Okay. Right? I'm trying to I was still working when we moved into Adams Road. Yeah, I remember that. We built that house. Yes. And I think I was retired maybe two weeks. And I was just getting acclimated to get out of that everyday um, procedure of yeah. getting up, getting dressed a certain way, going out, getting, you know, getting the car, drive to Albany, mm-hmm. whatever, or drive to the jail. In uniform, mm-hmm. they had no uniform because when I left the job, I didn't keep. I really didn't keep anything. Some guys keep the hats and all mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Other than uh, my search stuff, yeah, you didn't keep I, even a lot of my stuff that I wore up at the academy. I gave it away. I wanted a full separation from the job. But you came up to me in the living room. And you say, hey, "Can I?" I told you to the living room, and I said, hey, "Can I say something to you without you getting mad?" And I says, "Yeah, why?" She goes, no, I'm going to say something, but you can't get mad. You got to promise. Mm-hmm. I said, promise, we'll get mad. She goes, I'm really glad you're retired. I says, why? She goes, because when you were working, you were an asshole. And I looked at her, I says, wow. Wow. So, okay. And then you went out, whatever you went. And I, like, I pondered that for a while. And I said, yeah, it probably was. And I said to mom, and she just called me an asshole. <laughs> she said, what do you mean? And I said to her, she said, when I was working, I was an asshole. She goes, oh, you were. She goes, you were, you became an, you became that you became an asshole. She goes, you weren't really, you weren't abusive, but you were an asshole. She says, and it was definitely because of the job. She only glad thing I'm being glad is that you never became like an alcoholic or anything like yeah. that. Which happens to a lot of guys. Or yeah. gonna network the job. You know, and then hit the bottle for the answer. I can remember standing in lineup at a at a certain facility and the guy standing next to me. Not like a bottle of Johnny Walker at seven o'clock in the morning. Terrible. Or guys would leave the job at 3.30 or 11.30 and on the way home, hit the convenience store for an 18 pack. Yeah. And drink and half drink. of it on the way home. It's a very stressful job. It is. Well, I think about, well, if I was, how old was I? I don't know. I mean, I think you were, you kind of were an asshole. Yeah, I agree. You were. But I think it was more because I just wanted like, I kind of wanted like a cuddly, lovey dad. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted like, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't easy to talk to you growing up. Probably Don't not. you remember I used to write you letters to yeah. tell you how I felt? Yeah. 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 I mean, like now as an adult, I, and even just talking and hearing your story before, I could see why you kind of always were the way you were, or maybe why you weren't so open do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, yeah, it's, um, I always, I always say this. I always say that because like now in, in today's age, without sounding like I'm dating myself, but it's like today's age, we can talk about mental health therapy. We can talk about the things that we went through so we can heal through it. But like when you and mom grew up, you didn't get to talk about the things that affected you. You kind of had to just like deal and keep it moving. Yeah. I think had you 
not even like, even if you just were able to process some of the stuff that happened to you when you were a kid, even with your birth father, and even just like, I mean, like, it's sad to me that like grandma and grandpa weren't there for you like that. Like that's heartbreaking. Cause I know as a, a mom now, like, I don't care what Riley does, I'm going to be there and show up. Right. And so like, and I know how you guys parented and stuff. And I think there's like stuff that even mom, like, you know, you guys just, I think you carried a lot and didn't get to heal. Totally. And I think in a non, in a way of like you projected maybe, or you were kind of like closed. I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. Not very open. You know. Very quiet. Yeah. You're not a job. I mean, you, get, you have friends on the job and everything. And then when you retire, you really see who was a friend and who mm -hmm. was just a job friend. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a big click. Like when I retired, mm -hmm. um, my last week at the academy, after my last class graduated, the director of the school, the academy, kept telling me, pull my papers, pull my papers. I'll get your item number assigned to the academy. You don't have to work in the prison anymore. You stay up here until you want to retire. But we want you to stay. We want you to keep DI in this and that. And I'm like, no, I just, time's up. Mm -hmm. It's time. Mm -hmm. Because they were making a lot of changes in the jail too. And a lot of the changes were, in my opinion, pro-inmate, mm -hmm. not pro-officer. Mm -hmm. And it was getting tough to deal with all that crap. So, and even in the academies, a lot of things were changing. And I just said, I had enough. So um, the last graduation was really well. I had a little surprise. And then the last lineup, at the academy, um, they gave me a card, and I was surprised. Like a buddy of mine who was a DI, um, who I met through DI, and he was from uh, one of the shop camps. And uh, I kind of, I'm younger, than, I'm older than him, but I kind of look up to him because he was he was on point. And uh, he went around. And he made a collection, so they gave me this nice card, and then there was a gift in the card. And uh, it was nice. So I didn't know like retirement party and all that stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I had to spend my last couple, my last two days or three days, whatever it was, at the jail mm -hmm. to go through the final process to get my retirement badge, my retirement ID, and all this crap and turn my stuff in. And um, a couple of guys came up to me and goes, when's the party? I'm like, what party? Your retirement party. I said, I don't, I don't need a retirement party. Mm. You know, shake your hand. You're staying on the job, stay safe, be careful, blah, blah. It's great working with you, or you were an asshole the whole time I worked mm -hmm. with you. You're still an asshole, mm -hmm. and whatever, right? However, it is. And I just worked the last day, walked around. The only thing I was glad my last day working there, the guys that I worked with a lot that became kind of like close in the job, mm -hmm. we always had each other's back. They were all off mm -hmm. the, the, my last day in the jail, so I knew that. They weren't going to do something crazy like duct tape me to the wagon, mm -hmm. take my clothes off, hose me down, <laughs> full flower on me and all this other stuff. So when I walked around and said my goodbyes, I hung out for a half, uh, couple hours before I left. And um, a couple guys were like, how come your shirt is still in one piece? I said, like, what do you mean? Nobody ripped your shirt off your back yet or anything like that or threw anything at you, you know, as a, a wishing goodbye? Yeah. It's like, no. I said, and then uh, one guy. He says, uh, nobody's going to rip his shirt. I don't want to fuck with him. Fuck with him. Because it was this whole, I don't know, persona that I was like the Bruce Lee or whatever, a deadly warrior or something, which I was. I was just very quiet. And um, so one guy says, 
I'm going to get up out of this chair and I'm going to rip that shirt right off your chest. I was like, go ahead. It's a state shirt. I yeah, don't yeah, care. Yeah. You know, and he's like, and then the sergeant standing there goes, yo, don't do it. Don't do it. If you're going to do it, go get one or two other guys. Don't do it by yourself. He's like, I got him weighed out by 50 pounds. I'll never forget this. We're in the basement at Woodburn. I got him weighed out by 50 pounds. I could take him. Said, Look, you want the shirt? I'll stand here, rip my shirt, go for it. You know, whatever makes you happy. And uh, he didn't get up. And so I just like, dude, just sit in the chair and behave. <laughs> so I'm walking around, finally saying my goodbyes, getting ready to leave. And this basement desk area where a bunch of us used to hang out once in a while when things were quiet. I work in there. I used to work with every day. And he come out behind the desk and he goes, well, he goes, that it? I said, yeah, I'm leaving. He goes, well, it's been a pleasure. He goes, I tell you, he goes, you were great to work with. Always knew what was going to happen or not happen with you there. And you have to worry about anything because I really appreciate it. And everything. said, same with me. I said, you know, a lot of guys didn't like you. I said, you, you were hard to get along with at first. I said, but it worked out. Just be safe, you know, be careful. And as I went to shake his hand, he took his left hand, he grabbed my shirt pocket and ripped it off mm-hmm. and had my name tag on it. And I said, finally, somebody. He goes, yeah. I was wondering when somebody was going to do something. I said, everybody said we're going to rip my shirt or whatever. And he didn't do nothing. I said, I don't care. It's, it is what it is. So he goes, well, this is going in that glass cabinet with your name tag on. I said, that's cool. Yeah. A little like montage thing for going away. He's mm-hmm. retired. So as I go to walk away from him, all of a sudden I hear, and then, my whole back gets soaking wet. He took an extinguisher off the Oh, wall my God. And he soaked me with the water extinguisher. And he goes, now I feel good. I says, me too. Mm. I says, I'll see you. And yeah. I walked up. My shirt was ripped open. I'm wet. And as I get up to turn my radio in, they go, who ripped your shirt? And I says, oh, Richie. Who wet you? Richie. Nobody else did? Oh, well, maybe we'll keep the gates locked in between here. And we'll just, three of us will come out from behind the glass and just tune you up. I said, okay, that's going to make you happy before I walk out the door and they go for it. They, 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 they probably scared you. They, you would have kicked their ass. You wouldn't I, let someone beat you up. I would, I would fight back. Yeah. You know, three, four guys, it gets kind of tough. Like I said, the four or five guys that I worked with on when I did swaps a lot, yeah. if they were there, especially a specific two guys, mm-hmm. I'd have probably been duct taped to something in my underwear. Oh my God. I guarantee it. You know, they, it was crazy. But yeah. So, and I went to turn my stuff in, said my goodbyes, and out the door I went back and never looked back. Hmm. You know, and like you said, I, I didn't need, like a lot of guys, oh, to get the retirement party, mm-hmm. you know, $20 a head, we're going to have a retirement. I don't, I didn't need that. I mm-hmm. just want to take my horse and ride off into the sunset. Yeah. You know, everybody mm-hmm. else, take care, be safe, don't get hurt. Yeah. You know, because I was very fortunate, never really got hurt working. Yeah, thank God. You know, didn't get stabbed or anything like that. Other than one time getting thrown liquid on. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, best thing you ever did was retire. Yeah, because everybody everybody stays at 30 years because they want that extra 5%. If you really need that 5% that bad, you can get yeah. a part-time job. Yeah. That's how I looked at it. Yeah. Because, you know, the job, and, and it, like some guys working 40 years, like, like, like I'm on a, on a site on Facebook. It's all retired guys. Mm-hmm. And Oh, Joe Schmo's going into his 45th year. Congratulations. And I always post like, why? Why? You know, yeah. The longer you work, the shorter time you have on your retirement. Because the reti- the state is banking on you dying after you retire within two years, three years. So they don't have to pay you out. They don't have to pay you out. 
you're done. I'm not sick. And especially if you're if you're not giving any of your retirement to your spouse, mm -hmm. like if you keep the hundred percent, like a lot of guys have kept the hundred percent retirement, and we take out an insurance policy. So, or a guy is divorced and he remarried, but if he de decides to retire, his ex-wife gets twenty percent of his retirement. Mm. You know, and they don't want he don't don't want that. You know, nothing for the ex. So they keep it all, and they work. Or they work until they can't work anymore. Then they retire, and they hope by that time, the old lady who was in the picture is gone. And that's how these a lot of guys were. Well, you know, so you know, guys. There was a guy in Sing Sing just recently. He he's in his like fiftieth year. Mm. Yeah. It's so mentally taxing. Oh yeah, you know, and it's like, well, I make I make great money on overtime. So you're banking that money. Okay, I get it. You know. Uh, you're making 120,000 this year or 130 because of all the overtime. You never yeah, own. Yeah. You're working every night overtime, but it destroys your body. And, you know, like, look, I, I'm in my, I just nine years retired. Yeah. You know? Wow. Wow. Nine. Nine now. So, you know, these guys, they want to work 30, 35 because the money's good, whatever. But, you know, how many, I keep reading every time in, in, the, in that site. So and so just passed away. Rest in peace. And I mm -hmm. look it up. And he's like 58 years old or he's 62 the stress, years old. Probably, right? The stress, the abuse you put on your body because maybe you're that one guy, you're that person that liked to drink after the job to release all that tension, mm -hmm. you know, or mm -hmm. whatever. And mm. it ain't worth it. So that's mm -hmm. why he just got a part-time job. Yeah. You know, I had a great part-time job. Yeah. Gained a mountain. Gained a mountain. <laughs> Gained a mountain. Well, I'm going to pee my pants. Okay. All right. Two things. All right. Oh, these are good questions. Just okay. answer them in short form, short not form. Italian form. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Your point of view, so a father's point of view, you, of me, here, father's point of view of motherhood. So me, parenting, what does it say? Wait, your mother, oh, oh, oh. Mom parenting me versus how I mother Riley from your point of view. Yeah, it's a, that's a tough one. Or let's just break it down. What's your point of view as me, of me mothering Riley? Well, I think you do a great job. Oh yeah, I do. I'm good. I think I think from what I see when we're here and what I see when we FaceTime and the way you are on top of everything and teaching everything the right way, mm -hmm. I think it's great. I think you do a great job. Do you think I parent like mom did? No, I think it's a little different. Okay. Do you think uh, it's mom was good? Yeah. Mom was, I mean, good to great. We'll call them equal. Mom, yeah. mom did a great job raising four kids. And we really didn't depend on everybody in under the sun to either babysit or do this or that. We we made we made it work one way or another. Yeah. And um I thought she I thought she handled it really well, especially me being on the road. Yeah. 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 So I thought she did really well. But yeah, I think yeah. I think you do a great job. I think your sister, I think all these, all these do a do a good job taking care of the kids and making sure that they're safe and learning and all that. Um, and you all have your own different style of parenting, right? Mm -hmm. But it works, you know? So yeah, I just think it's great what you do. Thanks. Hmm. What is your number one tip? Raising daughters. Don't let them go out after 11 o'clock because <laughs> you have to go get them. 
What's my number one tip? Raising the door. I think a door you have to pay attention to a little bit more sometimes in certain things. But I, on the other hand, with boys, I think boys, you have to be more thumb on. Because I think it's a cliche or whatever it is, but I think boys tend to venture out and test the waters of things maybe that they shouldn't be doing more than a girl. A girl I think girl, girls have more self-awareness, common sense, like what's, I, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. Unless they're not, unless they're raised in a real broken home where there's no more rights and wrongs, uh, the girls are, are easier. Mm -hmm. Except when they start dating. Then you start worrying about them, mm -hmm. right? And we saw that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We could tell everybody about, what's that, Club 52? Oh, um, Area 51. Area 51. When you showed up. And I showed up at the dance place. Oh, man. The bouncer tried to stop me from coming in. And I says, you have two choices. You can move to the side or I'll walk over you, but I'm going to get my daughter. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, was a, that, was a, that was a tough time. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to be there. I know you weren't. It wasn't even legal. I know. Yeah. But Joey lets you in all the time. I know that, and then the time you and Trista went on a date, yep, and they pulled in the driveway late, like three in the morning, I snuck in, tried I was to sneak in, in the, yeah. I was standing in the basement, yeah, and then I went out to the car, Oof. and I said to the kid, "What time is it?" It's like three o'clock. I said, "What time did they tell you to be back?" I think I said eleven thirty. You said, "I think you let me stay till 12. You said, yeah. "Not 12. You actually said to him, "Not eleven fifty nine, not twelve oh one, like whatever it was. You were like, "Cheese, be back." This time. And we did not come back on Right. Time. And I said to him, I walked out to the car. And as I walked out to the car, the kid in the passenger seat yeah. elbowed him and says, look up. And I looked up and I'm standing right there. I said, roll down the window. He mm -hmm. rolled down the window. And I said, what time is it? He says, three o'clock. I said, what time did I tell you to be back? 12. I said, so 12, three is not 12, right? He's like, right. I said, okay. Why don't you put the car in, in reverse? You back out of my driveway and don't ever come back to this house again. And he never did. That was that. And you were like, don't go out there. I know. You know, because you're like a teenager. Like, there's me. No, I said, don't ever come back here again. Mm. I said, forget this house exists. And he looked at me and goes, all right. I said, what are you still doing here? Yeah. 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 I think he probably still remembers it too. Um, okay. Let's end it with a positive note. What are you most proud of me for? Hmm. I'm not Billy. So you... <laughs> <laughs> um, how do I put that into words? Because it's so positive. It's like totally impressive. It's what you've done with your life. With what we'll say. The basic education. Right. No college. You tried college. Didn't work. It doesn't work for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, didn't totally work for me. I went because I was pushed into it because grandma didn't want me going to the military. Mm -hmm. um, what you've done and the goals you set when you got out of high school and it was basically like, I really don't want to work for nobody. <laughs> I can't work in an office. So you started with the personal trainer stuff and the exercise classes, which I think kind of copied from what, because I used to do it, mm -hmm. mom did it. Mm -hmm. and so you fed into that and you got, you, you got hooked into that. And you took off and you started taking all those classes. And I still have vivid memories of going to Guam and Zumba and 200 yeah. people in the gym. It was like, blow me away. 
You know, it's like, that's my daughter up there, you know, and the woman goes, I don't care. This is my spot. (laughs) (laughs) But I just think, I think with a little, the basic education that you had and the goals you basically had then to where you are now is so totally impressive. It's like, it's pretty awesome to see where you are now and always refusing not to work nine to five for somebody, right? Yeah. And it started with the fitness stuff. And we weren't making a lot of money doing fitness stuff, mm-hmm. remember? Mm-hmm. Even, when we, even when I got you into New Hope. Yeah, no. We weren't making a lot of money. Yeah. You know, we did a lot of, a lot of time and energy to make a class mm-hmm. that nobody understood. Mm-hmm. Especially when you had to do music choreography and the group power stuff mm-hmm. and other things. Um, and then now you're into this and the way you've just taken your social butterfly um, way and made it into you as a business. And everybody's like, like sucks into you because of the way you present yourself. It's pretty cool. Thank you. Welcome. Very cool. Hmm. It's like, that's my daughter. That's right. Yeah, it's good. It's cool. It is. You know, I mean, what? What are we making? Two, three hundred dollars a week? I don't even know. Borrowing money here, borrowing money there. Yeah. Right. I think I borrowed money from you and mom until I was fucking thirty something. Too much. I was dating Kevin, asking to borrow money before I actually had a. Yeah. Money coming on my own. Yeah. yeah. And now you're doing pretty good. Pretty good. I'd say I'm doing pretty. I see you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing good. Sister's doing well. Yeah. Kyle's high school education got a little trouble, got out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Doing well as a mechanic, making really good money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes spends it on stupid stuff. <laughs> He'll never but, listen to this, right? <laughs> Maybe. But and Billy, Billy, he could, you know, he, he yeah. sucked in school. You all know that. He just really he got his GED and we went, I never forget this. Me, him, and mom went to Middletown to go to the mall to buy him pants or something. And I happened to be reading the newspaper before we left the house. And Middletown Honda was looking for lube techs. Oh, yeah. And he went and got the job. And I said to him, put something decent on. We'll go in there and go and look for a job. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, Middletown Honda's hiring. You're going to go in and look for a job. And we pulled in. He goes, what do you want me to do? I said, go inside. Tell me you hear about the job. And he went in there. I said, don't come up, go in there. And he went in, came out 20 minutes later, got in the car. I said, what happened? He goes, got a job. I start Monday. And he started changing oil, mm-hmm. rotating tires, mm-hmm. which came very boring to him right away mm-hmm. because he was, he built that Camaro in my garage mm-hmm. from nothing. Yes. Right. That whole engine out on the floor. He built it, turned it and flipped it and made money. Yeah, I remember. Without a book. And, uh, and he started doing breaks and he just kept going, going, going. And it wasn't until he moved to South Carolina that he got official certifications because Hyundai sent them to school in Atlanta for right. those, all that paper because everything's about the paper, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, became his master mechanic and could fix anything. Now he's fixing farm equipment out in friggin' Missouri mm-hmm. that he never went near. But his expression is, if it's got an engine, I can fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, and he just... Unfortunate with his yep. Meniere's thing, it's hard for him to get a job and stay on it because he can't f- focus with his 
spinnings. Mm -hmm. But when he does work, he does some great stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, and he, his brother's calling him. He's like one eight hundred call Billy. Yeah, you know, like Brianna put a light fixture up in her in the living room or in the kitchen. She didn't know what to do. One eight hundred Billy. He, and he FaceTimed him. and he walked us through it. You know. Yeah, He's I would like say that. I would say that all of us are doing really well for ourselves. You know? Billy and Kyle flurry with a little bit of trouble. Yeah. We know that. Mm-hmm. Where it was close mm-hmm. two occasions between mm-hmm. them. But they kind of learned from it. And thank God back then we knew the right people to mm-hmm. help that out. Yeah. 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 We're all doing really good. I think so. I think you guys did a good job. We tried. <laughs> you did. You did a good job. Well, thanks for joining my podcast. Whew. I need a drink. I know. I got a piece so bad. <laughs> That's because you're a chatty Kathy, you know. You started it. I know. I can't, I can't believe you can tell so many stories like that. I'm going to have to make two podcasts. One for baseball, one for second half. Whatever. Can't we remember all that. So while you didn't do it, you have to download it? Yeah, I'm going to say, thanks for tuning in, guys. All right. I'm going to end this episode. And it's probably going to be a two-parter. Okay. All right. I'll have to listen to it. Yeah. Um, 